0: Good morning. It is a sunny, beautiful Wednesday here in the Midwest. This is your host, Jill Moran. Welcome to the Jill Moran Show. Ready to get started? We got a big show today lined up. We're going to talk about Jerome Powell, uh, the big FOMC speech that uh, Powell will be giving this afternoon following their meeting. Uh, so, I want to talk about kind of what we expect, what's happened in certain markets since the last time he spoke. Uh, we'll cover it. Um, various currencies that have been impacted and how they've how they've really traded since then. Uh, want to dive into some of the economic data that's been released today, most notably retail sales and the housing index. Um, uh, saw an interesting tweet about the bifurcation in the market and various sectors that I want to dive into. Uh, another thing that I'm interested in covering and discussing is more about micro-strategies and uh, Sailor um, and kind of what they're trying to accomplish with the moves that they're making. So I'm going to read a blurb um, out of their release uh, that happened yesterday with the announcement that they've purchase an additional $175 million in Bitcoin for their corporate balance sheet. Uh, but I want to talk about this new policy that they're implementing and, and what I think it potentially means. And then we'll wrap up the show. So we've got a lot to cover. Um, and again, you know, it's really, I think there's really kind of two important components. One is the beginning, right, the FOMC, what it means for Powell, I mean, every month and a half, his speeches and conferences have become must-watch television, given the economic climate and given the fact that Congress can't get their heads together uh, to put together a fiscal package, um, which which we'll dive into because it's impacting the economic numbers and it's going to continue to impact the economic numbers going forward. And then what Michael, Michael Saylor is doing with micro strategies and how this is really just the tip of the spear in terms of what corporations will be doing uh, to protect their balance sheets. So let's get going. Michael Saylor, uh, I mean, what he's doing is making moves, but we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So FOMC uh, Powell, Have a press conference today after their two-day meeting wraps up you know overall expectations i think are fairly tame and muted um you know i hope he dives into uh specifics and can provide clarity on how they anticipate reaching their inflation objective you know i suspect that given some of the recent inflation data where it's been slightly higher than consensus, that he'll say, hey, look, this is what we wanted. We want inflation to eventually get greater than 2%. I mean, that's the only way we're going to average a 2% inflation target. So it's okay if we run a little hot, right? I mean, that's what we expect them to say. I mean, honestly, if they change their position to say average 2% instead of it being 2%, then it would have to run hot, right, hotter than two. So, you know, I just just hope we hear some specifics on exactly how they plan to accomplish that. Um, You know, I suspect that he's also going to talk about interest rates and how interest rates going through 2023 are going to remain near zero. Uh, I mean, he's indicated that every step of the way, that they're not even thinking about raising interest rates, Given the economic conditions that we're seeing, not only in the United States but globally, uh, and just the inherent weakness that's out there, um, so I think we'll see that, and it'll be interesting, right? Uh, it'll be interesting to see what else, what other kind of nuggets. You know, he's gonna he's gonna pander for fiscal stimulus, um, and you know, I'm not sure what Congress is doing. The, uh, I guess a moderate portion of the house, um, I think somewhat bipartisan, but I'd have to, I'd have to do a little bit deeper dive. Wasn't well, so planning on even you know talking about this, but so there was a report last night that house moderates put together a $1.5 trillion plan that they wanted to push forward. And that just didn't get any traction, <laughs> so from the uh, from the uh, from the hard left or the uh, the more uh, progressive side of the left, so you know he's gonna Powell's gonna push for fiscal. I mean we know this. This is what he's done. Uh, he understands the um, market conditions and the dynamics and the gap in the demand. Uh, curve that's gonna be happening and is already happening so he's gonna bring it up and it'll be interesting to see how long he presses for it and talks about it because then we'll know how serious um, does he take it right so let's uh, let's see what he says and you know and we'll cover it Um, you know the market Really, since his last speech in the end of August, it's it's been volatile, um, to say the least. There's been some significant swings on the currency front and the forex front. Uh, the Nasdaq was getting pummeled two weeks ago. Uh, even there were some big haircuts last week. Things look like they're finally starting to rebound um, slightly. I mean, the Dow's up. Uh, you know, about 100 points, the S&P is up about 10, and the NASDAQ just turned red, actually. But it's it's been a volatile market, right? And that's because of the disconnect, and we knew this, right? I mean, we've seen it, the disconnect between the stock market and the real economy and what's happening is the market is starting to say look this this can't this can't go on forever and if there is a real demand gap that hits and there's no stimulus then the market can't keep going higher and higher at this pace so or can't go higher and higher without the volatility Um, There's going to be volatility. So we'll see, right? We'll see what happens. Um, It's going to be interesting. That's for sure. But I expect to just see more choppiness uh, and probably, you know, with a slight uptrend, but certainly choppy. Certainly choppy. And I I think Powell's going to say, look, guys. We're doing everything we can from a monetary standpoint. We're keeping interest rates near low. We understand that the real economy is struggling, that momentum is slowing down. Um, Unemployment, 29.6 million people are receiving some form of government assistance. You know, 14 million filing uh, continuous claims. We're still having a million people File new claims every single week so it's it's it's, it's dicey out there and there's gonna be volatility right volatility is not a bad thing I mean honestly volatility is a good thing for traders um, and for investors if you understand the overall trend then you can use things like volatility to uh, to get into better prices, right? And and that's one of the things that they talk about at Bitcoin with its you know sixty percent volatility is yeah it makes it really difficult for traders to outperform because it is so volatile. But for people that just dollar cost average in and buy every day or every other day or every week, then It's actually an advantage because your dollar cost averaging in at better prices, right, over time. So I think that's what he's going to say. Uh, it's going to be very matter-of-fact, non-emotional, but the message is going to be clear. Low interest rates for the foreseeable future, everything is slowing down, the momentum slowing down. We need fiscal. We need fiscal and you know we're doing everything we can as a body to keep businesses with easy access to credit now they can do everything they can right to to provide easy access to the credit but the banks still have to lend it and i think that's one of the things that we've been seeing is you know banks Banks are inherently banks are inherently conservative. They just hate losing money. Hate it. Hate it. And so they're afraid to lend. And that's why you start running into solvency issues and bankruptcies, which, you know, over the next six to nine months, probably even, you know, further, right? Twelve to eighteen months um these bankruptcies are just going to be crushers and and the Fed can't solve for that you know um, that's where the fiscal that's where the fiscal piece comes into play uh, so you know I think that's going to be a speech really since the last speech like I said it's been mostly volatile you know the dollar, It was. It's interesting. The dollar dropped to that 91.75. It then, you know, but it's been about two weeks. So 91.75. It ripped up to 93.66. So almost, you know, two percentage, you know, 200 basis points total, not quite. And then it's dropped back down today to 92.93. And again, we've seen the range. It's just trading in a range. Right, which is that ninety four to ninety, let's call it 92, 94 to ninety two, and it's just going up and down, up and down, up and down, um, and you know over the past day or so, it's really kind of come back up, um, and I don't know if that's because they're anticipating, you know, hey, we're we're letting this thing run hot, so they expect the dollar to fall. You know, I'm not sure if they're manipulating it, uh, but last time when Powell spoke. It dropped significantly, and then it actually the dollar got a lot stronger. Um, and I don't know. Again, it's it's hard to tell because it's a it's a multiplayer game. We got we got the ECB, we've got China, we've got Japan, and the large central banks are now competing with one another instead of working together. They're competing with one another to uh, decrease and uh, lower the uh, currency rates um, to help their multinationals in this uh, globalization game. So dollar, like I said, it's been fluctuating in that range. Um, you know, Honestly, at this point, I think it's going to continue. If it breaks below 92 again, I think it'll pop right back up. Uh, until we until we kind of see because what happened last time is it hit ninety one seventy five the euro hit one point two and then the ECB said no 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 we don't want the euro to get stronger stronger because that hinders growth and our multinationals suffer and it's just this game of back and forth so that's that's what happened with the dollar in the last two weeks since Powell's previous previous press conference uh the euro like i said it went up to 1.2 and then it tracked all the way down to 1.175 and it's been in that range right now it's about 1.185 somewhere in there almost like right in the middle um and you know everybody's just kind of waiting and seeing right on what Powell's going to say you know i hope he provides some real concrete um Information that gives us clarity into the inflation target and how they how they plan on hitting that, Um, because one of the things that I that I really don't like, and this is I think my math um, my math background, but they went from specifics and specific targets to generalizations. Generalizations give them wiggle room and give them cover on their policy decisions. And I think it's actually, he said they want to be more transparent. I think it's actually less transparent because you don't have to say what your plan is. Um, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe pal, maybe somebody will ask a great question and Powell will surprise us today. The yen, what's actually fascinating. And I think it has to do with Abe um, announcing that he's going to step down. But, the yen, so the USD, uh, the dollar to yen, was at let's call it a 1.69, 1. Point, you know, or not 1.69, sorry, 106.9 to 107 uh, pre, you know, pre PAL speech. It would have been late August, and it's now at 104.82. So it's, I mean, it's dropped two and a half, two and a half percent, 250 basis points, and that's significant. Um, so, while the dollar was actually getting stronger against the euro, um, when the euro dropped from 1.2 to 1.175, the dollar was actually getting weaker against the yen, and I I think this is something worth watching. I mean, you know, the, the Japanese, the, the central bank in Japan has really... Run. I mean, it's been quantitative easing, extremely accommodating, uh, which is largely due to the demographic challenges that they have. Um, and so, Abe announces his that he's stepping down, right, due to health issues, and the 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 yen immediately shows strength. I mean, that's a significant move. Um, and so how this plays out, um, you know, over the coming months, as we understand the Central Bank of Japan's motivations, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, Abe's no longer there to influence it. You know, will the new prime minister... Um, will the new prime minister have a different uh, philosophy when it comes to central banks, will he try to influence the central banks, um, something we're just going to have to watch, but the, the, the change in the currency is certainly interesting, um, and if it continues to get stronger, then it's going to put pressure, and significant pressure, on uh, Japanese exports. And um, it'll just be a change in the way that they've operated for the last, you know, 20 years, right? So it's just something we're gonna we're gonna have to follow. We're gonna have to follow. You know, the central banks. Yeah, it's it's somewhat coordinated, um, not coordinated in the sense that they're working together, but coordinated in the sense that they're working. their own self-interest not in uh, the self-interest of the entire globe and the globalized economy and so now that you have a change in one of the players um, it could actually change the dynamic of the coordination and how they either strengthen their currency um, manage interest rates uh, purchase treasuries or bonds I mean, you change one of the major players, it can change the outcome, uh, and it's it's just something it's something we're gonna have to follow. Um, I mean, this guy, who knows? I mean, the the next PM, who knows? Right? We don't know who they are, how they uh, how they govern, um, what their impact is gonna be on the central bank. So we're just gonna have to pay attention and learn, right? We will. I mean, it's no different than honestly, it's really no different than what Trump has done relative to uh, to trade with China. I mean, everything was pretty straightforward, right? We wanted to buy we the American uh, citizens wanted to buy cheap Chinese goods, uh, and then Trump started throwing tariffs and uh, impacting the trade. And what it's actually done, and and I mean, we all knew this was happening. We all knew China was stealing. Um, technology, information, uh, you know, they almost rigged the economy to where you had to partner with somebody in China uh, to do business in China, et cetera, but uh, Trump has really disrupted the status quo, and now the rest of the world is becoming uh, more cautious in their interactions with China. Uh, because you can't trust their intentions, right? Um, and you know, I, th- I actually I think that's a I think that's one of the good things that Trump has done is he's he's uh, changed how we interact with China, and honestly, it feels like China is going to become more isolated um because people aren't going to want to utilize their technologies given how it all kind of comes back to the Chinese government and their spying and their stealing of technology and everything else. So fascinating, just fascinating stuff. And we'll see, you know, we'll see who the player is. Um we'll see how they interact on the global on the global scene um but it's an important it's an important detail in the story, and it's something that we're gonna have to follow. The Chinese yuan it's continuing to strengthen against the dollar. Uh, you know, there's concerns that and and it's something that I was interested in really in 2000 and it would have been 2010 2011. I did a research paper on currency manipulation in China. Um, and how the Chinese were intentionally keeping their currency weaker to drive exports and growth, etc. I mean, everybody knows this. I mean, it's been happening. Um, But does China really want the yuan to be a reserve currency? I don't think so. I think they're trying to damage the U.S., right, and weaken the U.S., but... If China becomes, if the yuan becomes the reserve currency, then China needs to change. China needs to shift how they manage their economy, right? You can no longer be an exporter. You become an exporter of dollars and you run at deficits, right? So they're going to have to shift their economy if they want that. But it is worth noting that the yuan continues to strengthen against the dollar uh, it's moved from 6. Point, let's call it 828 to 6.75 so not significant but i mean a year ago it was you know 7.05 7.06 um, and they look at this currency i mean it's it's a fixed number it's something that they are um, managing extremely tightly with a fine tooth comb and who knows right i mean who knows where it goes but it looks to me like it's going to continue to strengthen because the dollar is going to continue to weaken um but those are the four currencies that are always worth watching uh and again volatility not one of them has you know stayed relatively flat it's been choppy choppy at best so We'll see how they react today. I think they're even going to fluctuate today, um, right up until Powell's speech, and then I suspect uh, real movement once um, Powell's speech is uh, once Powell's speech is over. So it's uh, it's wild, wild times. That's for sure. That's for sure. Now we talked about earlier Powell saying, "Look." or what I believe he's gonna say is gonna look things are slowing down momentum is slowing down and you know we only have to look at retail sales I mean the United States is a very it is a consumption driven economy and that's one of the reasons why we have significant wealth inequality is the system is set up for people to spend their money right so you're spending every dollar you can you got to keep up with the Joneses but honestly you just got to eat right you got to live You got to get close with an inflation-driven, an inflation structure. You know your dollar tomorrow is worth less than your dollar today, so you might as well spend it and consume goods. Well, what happens is the bottom fifty percent, in terms of um, wealth, they're spending everything they have, right? And then your top one percent, they're saving. Well, that just leads to further, uh, further divide. But the problem is that lower 50%, they're the ones that drive the economy because they're the ones that actually spend it all, spend all of their, um, whether it's their hourly wage, their salary, they're the ones that are spending every dollar. And in August, you have back to school, so the you're getting a bump right in terms of retail sales from back to school, whether it's clothes, school supplies, backpacks, um, travel. I mean, you know, whatever travel there is, but if you got to try, if you got to drive eight hours to drop your daughter off at college, um, then that's what you're going to do. And that takes gas, that takes, uh, food on the way. So August, usually there is a bump, right? Um, because of the back to school factor and, and that acting as a catalyst. But retail sales were up 0.6, so 0.6, 0.6% month over month. Consensus was 0.7. So not a significant, um, you know, kind of, you know, not a significant uh, undershoot of the expectation, but it's notable and why is it notable because there was a catalyst which was back to school and so what happens in September when we get the September data and it's continuing to slow down and there's no catalyst right i guess i'll be shocked shocked if it's better than if it's better than 0.6 i'll be shocked You know, honestly, if it's 0.4, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I don't have any idea. I'm not an economist, but honestly, the economists don't know either. But the reality is it's going to slow down. And it's because there's no fiscal support and there's no catalyst, right? And so that just drives, it drives the numbers. Behavior drives the numbers. And it feels like to me, it's going to slow down. Now, one good part of the economy that continues to rock and roll is because, you know, there's really two catalysts, but that's housing market. So the housing index, which, um, focuses on single family homes and the market sentiment was 83 versus a, uh, expectation or forecast of 78. And it was also 78 in the previous month. So people are feeling better. It's better market sentiment about housing, uh, which continues to, um, be impacted by low interest rates you know you can get a mortgage a 30-year mortgage probably anywhere between 2.9 and 3 percent today with with good credit uh on a 15 year you can probably get to 2.65 maybe 2.7 so rates are super cheap which is driving people to buy homes because honestly it's it's funny people that they think they can afford a million dollar home Because they can barely scratch out the monthly mortgage. And they probably shouldn't have buy the home. But, you know, again, we're a a consumption-driven economy. And that's the way it works. So interest rates are dropping. People are feeling good. They're moving. They're buying properties. Um, I mean, it is a hot housing market. It's only going to continue. And then the other catalyst is actually... Um, The inflation expectation and buying real estate. So people are going to move their dollars, their free cash flow, their excess capital into hard assets. Gold, real estate, Bitcoin. We've talked about it. (laughs) And we're going to continue to talk about it because it's the only thing that really matters (laughs) in the coming future. uh, Given the economic system and how uh, how it's extremely fragile. So, I mean, good news there, I expect that to continue uh, because the underlying um, dynamics, the underlying variables just aren't gonna change there. They're not gonna change. The people that have money um, are gonna take advantage of the opportunity and the people that don't, won't, right? Uh, but the people you know, that either rent, uh, most notably the renters, I mean, honestly, they should get favorable um, changes in their rent Given the economic backdrop, so I do expect some relief there uh, going into going into next year. Even though the overall market is, uh, housing market is is hot. Uh, so again, the economy it's telling us two different things. One, slowing down. Momentum is slowing down because of the demand gap, because of the bottom fifty percent. There's no fiscal bill, um, so it's slowing down. And then the people that are able to, that have money, are pushing forward, and they're taking advantage of the opportunity. And it's uh, it's um, you know good bad or different. It's just the way it's just the way that it is. And one of the interesting things that even talks about this bifurcation that I saw was in the stock market. The tech sector is up twenty seven percent year to date, and I mean that seems right. The Nasdaq is flying. I mean, you know, whether it's Square, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, I mean, your favorite tech stock, it is banging, right? And energy is actually down 47% for the year. So you've got this gap of 74% between the best performing market or sector and the worst performing sector. So 74% gap. And It's the largest gap since 2000. We know what happened in 2000 was the dot-com bubble. Um, So I think things are different in terms of tech, uh, what it means today. It's a much, I mean, obviously it's a much more mature market than it was 20 years ago. Um, So I don't see that, but I see the value stocks. I see energy continuing to suffer. Because the world is in a digital age. It's a digital world. It's the age of information, age of abundance. And you can't change the underlying trends. You can't change the secular trends. Um, And, you know, yeah, it's frothy at the top, the market. But it isn't frothy everywhere. And the reason why it's not frothy in the value stocks is because... Those things that used to influence and drive the economy no longer do. It's a digital world and technology drives the economy in 2020. And that brings me to Michael Saylor and micro strategies. Which is super important. Like I said, it's the tip of the spear. Preston Pish has been talking about this on his podcast uh, for the last... I don't know, six to 12 months, he, you know, anticipated that, that something like this would occur where companies start putting Bitcoin on their balance sheets um, to protect their balance sheet, right, from uh, loss in purchasing power due to inflation. And and he also predicted, so that happened, and then what he also anticipated and predicted um And it's just a continuation of that trend is companies will then utilize and say, okay, Bitcoin is now my reserve currency uh, for my treasury. And it's not just an asset, right? It's not just a bond. It's actually my new reserve asset. um, And it's the primary asset. And so... I'm going to read this clip, and then we're going to talk about, okay, well, what does that mean exactly? So it says, you know, this is in item 8.01, and the release other events. It says, on September 11, 2020, the board of directors of MicroStrategy Incorporated adopted a new treasury reserve policy that updated the company's treasury management and capital allocation strategies. Under the new policy, treasury reserve assets will consist of cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments held by the company that exceed working capital needs and Bitcoin held by the company with Bitcoin serving as the primary reserve asset on an ongoing basis, subject to market conditions, anticipated needs of the business of cash assets, including future potential share repurchase activity. As a result of this new policy, the company's holdings of Bitcoin may increase beyond the $250 million investment that was disclosed on August 11th. So, What does that mean? It means going forward, they're using Bitcoin as the reserve asset, right? So we think of the dollar as our reserve currency. Well, MicroStrategy is saying, well, not anymore. Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is the foundational layer. And if I need to use something or pay for something in dollars, then I'll convert my Bitcoin to cash to fiat to execute the transaction but it is now their underlying reserve currency i mean it's reserve asset Um, they probably have to be careful there due to the way that the government um, treats bitcoin but the one thing that i'll be fascinated to see is do they actually report their financials and bitcoin my guess is they won't yet. Um, they're going to still get pushback from shareholders on some level, even though their stock is a fucking rocket ship since they announced this. So, their stock in the last five days, since this was announced, let's say Monday morning was at 140, it's now at 168. So what do you think is going to happen when the other CFOs see this valuation and their overall market cap increase by, let's see, 30, almost 20% in a couple days because they're utilizing Bitcoin as their reserve asset? People are going to take notice and they're going to uh, – I mean, you're, you're leaving money on the table, right? If, if you have a responsibility to provide value to shareholders and maximize shareholder value, then other companies are going to take notice. Um, there's no question. I mean, honestly, I think Square's next. Uh, they're going to pull the trigger I mean, they're they're implementing um, new tools for payroll processing, uh, utilizing Square, and it's only a matter of time before they're saying, "Okay, well, if you want to get paid in Bitcoin, here, this is how you get paid in Bitcoin, and off you go." Um, so, I'm interested. I think it's probably going to be I, my guess is they get through their year, and. You know, I have no idea. But if I was them, I'd wait through the year. We do our annual report. We say here's our annual report. It's in dollars. Going forward, we're reporting everything in Bitcoin as our unit of count. Um, you know, it hasn't hindered our ability. Honestly, it's protecting our balance sheet and our company. Um, and they make the move whenever that, whenever that, uh, whenever that annual report in their year ends. So. But just fascinating stuff. I mean, this is real-time changes, philosophical changes. And it's allowing companies that understand it to be a lot more progressive and protect their balance sheets, right? And that's what he's doing. Um, It's bold strokes for bold folks, right? That's what it is. And, you know, Harvard, Harvard Business Review, they're going to be doing a case study on micro strategies in 10 years. And it's either going to go fucking awesome or not so awesome. Right. Um, You know, it's one or the other. It's not going to be, uh, you know, ho hum. You know, we'll see its performance versus the other players. We'll see it and we'll know. Uh, We'll know if it was a sound decision, if it was a bad decision. But we're watching it play out in real time. And this move to make Bitcoin the reserve asset, treasury reserve asset, that's huge. That's a game changer. That's different than just putting it on your balance sheet. You're now saying that this is your, I mean, he didn't say it, but this is basically what he's saying. He's saying that Bitcoin's now their unit of account. That's powerful. That's game-changing. And we're going to start to see more and more and more companies put Bitcoin on their balance sheets um, due to MicroStrategy's boldness. Well, that's it for today's show. Uh, Hope everybody enjoys their Wednesday. I know I will... Uh, it's, uh, it's about 65 degrees here in the Midwest, hard to complain, um, not slaving away uh, for somebody else. And until tomorrow, let's keep our ears to the grindstone.